Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are. On our phones. And in the language we speak. And yes, you know, we say like a lot. It's kind of the point. Because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Happy Thanksgiving week. It is the holidays, I guess. Wild. <laughs> Wild. I feel like, look, it's a classic, like, every year saying to be like, I can't believe it's this time already. Like, I feel like that could be, like, any holiday. Like, and we're, like, broken Easter. records about that shit. About time. We're like, I can't believe it's this oh, time of year. We're literally a broken record. We end- we we know that, guys. That's we're fine. so sorry. Like, yeah. if we're going to apologize for something, it's going to be that. But 100%. I will say that Anything it doesn't... <laughs> including our inability to say anything any sentence that doesn't start with let's talk about because Mm. we may have hit a world record on our episode with brian recently we were doing a recap of the election which is honestly such a evergreen timeless episode Mm -hmm. which i know seems sort of counterproductive or not counterproductive it's not a word like counterintuitive counter i'm not sure the word but i do understand where you're coming from where it's like especially for these next few months especially until people well people are like sworn in this is it is evergreen in the sense that like it will give you an understanding of what all these results mean until i think it's january 3rd when everyone gets sworn in and how these power dynamics will shift and what it means for the democrats what it means for the republicans like he breaks it all down so yeah. Which I honestly think is such a good episode to listen to coming home for a holiday or like leaving, yeah. like you have these long road trips or, oh my God, my friends have had some of the worst flight situations recently, like genuinely like hell on earth scenarios. Oh gosh. Yeah. Like I'm so glad that I don't have to fly for any holiday, but just like regardless, obviously wishing everyone a safe travel season and also hopefully an expedient one one where you don't get stuck in crazy layovers etc or cancel flights but but yeah. if you do look prepare for the worst and hope for the best and in that case that means download every episode of girl link of the podcast and catch up so like that show. is a great one to do the catch up on and also like if you're having conversations around whatever holiday table you're you know hanging at honestly it's a good one to have like the fun facts ready from hundred percent because we wanted to talk about for a second like thanksgiving tips for and just holiday tips in general when you go and see your family and sometimes whether it's your immediate family your aunts uncles cousins like whoever you usually spend these holidays with like sometimes there are family members that don't agree with you politically and political conversations come up and that happens to my family every time we see certain members of the family um 
I won't be spending holidays with them, but like when we do see them and spend time with them, like politics always comes up and it's always such a contentious time usually, especially if you're on different sides of the spectrum. And I think there are tips on how to navigate those situations. I think my number one tip is to really just not have those conversations or not get involved, like as hard as that is, like if your dad and your uncle on opposite sides, like start getting into it, like I, I personally just like walk away and like leave the room just like, I, this isn't, this isn't how I want to spend my time or energy. But obviously, like there are moments when that isn't always an option or isn't always make sense. So speaking of Brian Derek, Brian Derek is releasing a Thanksgiving cheat sheet. So go follow him on Instagram and get ready for that. I don't think he has let it or released it yet but he announced that he is working on it so it'll be a little cheat sheet of like just like some fun easy facts to like keep in the noggin for when these conversations come up and specifically when there might be some like misinformation thrown at you or some false facts false news that's just like not not the information that is accurate brian is providing talking points on how to navigate those types of conversations and sometimes the misinformation and such that that unfortunately divide us. So keep an eye out for that. Totally. And I think a few things to remember is the yes and of it all. This is more of like something that I feel like is taught in like every like team building exercise at any corporate company. But you can literally say in a conversation, yes, I hear you. Let's table this. Or Yes, I hear you. Let me think about that and get back to you. You can always table the conversation. So you can acknowledge the person that you disagree with's belief. And then you can provide them sort of that next step that moves you away from that conversation. And that's just more than anything if, you know, you're looking for a way to de-escalate something, especially if someone's coming in hot and loaded, that is a good way to do it. Obviously, every situation is different. Can't solve for them all. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like on that, too, is something where you can be like, well, I like don't agree with that. And like the yes and like Sam said, and like something, especially in politics that I feel like is a good little like one liner to say is like, I can't really do this subject justice or I can't explain this and really give it the justice that it needs or like this issue. I can't explain it like the way, say, this person who went on this podcast did. You want to listen to it one time? Go ahead. So, like, I think that's another good thing to just, like, divert. Also, like, put it out there that it's okay to not be able to fully explain sometimes, like, how you feel about an issue or be able to regurgitate all these political talking points and facts to, like, be like, you know what? I actually, like, can't really explain it properly. But, like, here you go. Here's, like, this thing that, like, I thought really explained it well and, like, did it justice that maybe you can listen to one time. Like, I think always kind of, like changing the subject and doing the yes and and then providing some type of resource maybe. My mom always suggests Ground News, the app, where when the news, the like where they get their news conversation, like where did you hear that? And they say like fucking Breitbart or like some bullshit like publication. My mom's like, well, like there's actually this app called Ground News and it tells you where, you know, your news is leaning just so you can get an understanding of like the bias within like the information you're consuming. So like Having kind of some stuff on like resources on deck, I think is an also a great way to just kind of like de-escalate. I agree. And I also agree with the fact that Ground News should sponsor us at this point because... Jesus Christ. <laughs> my God. <laughs> Besides that, we do love using it. We have literally shouted out this resource 
on every single podcast interview I think we've ever done. So, you know, I mean, look, it's it feels like a what would be a happy marriage, you know, if I'm going to bless a marriage. But anyways, ground news, we know you follow us. We don't know if you Mm. listen to us, but we would love to partner. So just going to shamelessly, shamelessly. They left us on read. They left us on read. On read. Oh, is this going to be the great debate? Samantha, there is no debate here. It's left on red. That was like, ask anyone left in society. Left on red. Left on red. Oh, look. No. No. Put that on our Instagram story like right now and get a poll going because I don't think I've heard anybody say left on read. There is. Is this a West Coast thing? Oh, my God. No, this is just a life thing. No I swear. way. I just no swear. Way. I swear. We should be doing this. Sound we off. This live? Wait, sound on. off in our DMs. Hey, so, guys, yeah, let us posted. know. The story is posted. Go sound off in the poll and we'll settle this. If you catch this in the morning, your morning listener, you get the chance to participate in the Instagram poll. And if you miss it, not just slide into our, slide into our DMs or comment on like our episode post or something. We'll find it. We'll find your answer. I thought some more time. Now okay. I feel like I'm changing my answer. Now I feel like it's red too. Oh, here it is. Here it is. <laughs> I'm going to have to like, honestly, like randomly bring something up like this in like a week and see what my just organic reaction is. I wonder if it changes. Okay. Okay. She doesn't believe well, me. It's fine. But first of all, Yesterday, we released top stories. Go listen if you have not yet. We talk about the shooting in Colorado, Trump's re-election bid, and the new Democrat and GOP House leadership and what that's going to look like in the future. So go listen. But one story that happened over the weekend that we did not talk about that me and Sam have been itching to talk about is the Biden wedding at the White House. That was stunning. Beyond. Beyond. Like, oh I have God. no no notes, no edits, nothing. Absolutely nothing. stunning. The Vogue pictures in full came out today. The cover, everything. I know. I need to see those. Oh, my God. Literally, I just don't even know which part to start at. First of all, her both dresses, absolutely epitome of elegance, so stunning. Mm-hmm. Then, on top of it, the veil, the image of the veil oh my God, these down pictures. two stories over the front of the White House. I just... Wait, I'm looking at the Vogue pictures for the first time. Insane. The cover with Jill. And Jill looks, I, I mean, wanna, Jill's gorgeous. Of course I want to cry. Gorgeous. I got goosebumps from this picture. That is the cutest thing I've ever seen. I'm obsessed. And do we know the history of people who have gotten married in the White House? I've read it like 10 times and none of it has stuck. Mm. But I do know that the Biden family paid for the wedding. It does not come from tax dollars. That was so, a question I had because I was like going to the comments on some of the pictures and I was like, who's how many times are people going to say, are we paying for this? <laughs> yep. A thousand percent. I knew it was going to. But no, they did not use Americans tax dollars. The Biden family paid for it themselves. So mm-hmm. just FYI on that, I can see that definitely be a Thanksgiving talking point. A thousand yeah. percent. But there is a history the of dress with the gloves. I'm stunning. on the floor. Like it's also even especially like the first dress, which is apparently like a custom Ralph Lauren. It's oh, stunning. Oh, here it I is. could never pull it off in my life. 
Not that I need White to White House Weddings but... History. Okay. Give us the uh, I have a book. Oh, continue reading for free. Well, I don't have a book account, but it looks as though there have been some weddings. Linda Bird Johnson. As, no, Linda Bird oh. Johnson, a cis husband, Marine Captain Charles Robbins. He uses sword to cut piece of wedding cake during reception while the president and Miss John, Mrs. Johnson look on. So Lyndon Johnson's daughter got married at the White House. Yeah. I think there were a handful of daughters. I think there's something new about the granddaughter element. Mm. And then what oh, is yeah. there? Mm-hmm. There is a president that, ah, what was his name? He was problematic. They're all And he married like his best friend's daughter and like had taken care of her as like a little kid. And then mm. she was like, quote, unquote, of age and married her at the White House. Who the hell? Oh, it's going to drive me nuts. I will figure it out at some point. Something interesting, though, is that Naomi and husband Neil. Husband. Husband. <laughs> husband. We're just going to leave it at that. I guess they live in the White House residence. Mm. And I didn't realize that family members could live there. It kind of feels like a a royals thing. Like, you know how yep. the royals like have the royal residences and it's like that. Like It was giving that energy to me. Yeah. Like not enough. I would do that. I feel right. like it's like a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I would really, like, capitalize on that. Do you remember that movie from when we were kids? And it was, like, the first daughter. And she, like, I think she she doesn't, like, run away. But she, like, sneaks out and, like, goes on a date. Yeah. And what the what movie was that? It was. I I think it was called First Daughter. Oh. Wait, I totally want to rewatch that. Who is in it? Wouldn't tell you. Yeah, it's called First Daughter with Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes. Stop. Was Katie Holmes? Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Okay. I Michael be... Keaton was, of course, the president. That feels so on brand. Just, yeah. No, super stunning. And I actually like just was kind of shocked by it because I didn't really know it was happening. And then I was like, oh, my God, this is beautiful. And then I was like, had the thoughts. Who else has done this at the White House? Like, is this normal or is Fox News going to tear, tear the, their asses oh, apart? Well, they would. <laughs> they could literally be doing the most selfless amazing thing in the world and fox news would find an issue with it so it just doesn't even matter but i think it is interesting that we had tiffany trump's wedding i was just gonna ask you what did you think about hers not my style at all (laughs) yeah but honestly not as we also didn't talk about like really how trump married off his daughter the same weekend when like basically most of the election results came in and he had his mm-hmm. ass whooped yeah that couldn't have been a fun not not a fun wedding to be at but like a fun but just especially dynamic. given his like ego and you know how probably pissed off he was like i mean i kind of feel bad for tiffany i feel like i always feel badly for tiffany not my style i however however naomi biden's Oh absolutely my God. stunning absolutely stunning and timeless more my beautiful. style like that is just like it's every element of it is just elevated elegance i really liked the second dress like that's definitely yeah. my style the first totally. dress was like very like traditional like modest Oof. stunning on her yeah i, I don't I think like i would go would that like choked. modest traditional but given like you're getting married at the white house so like you got to keep it yeah keep it classy not that, like, my wedding dress would be whorish or anything, but 
it's just no i i was really blown away by how beautiful and just like the photography the the way they set everything up was really really beautiful so felt like intimate from the pictures Mm -hmm. from ladies like it it felt as opposed to many people contrast to i would say tiffany's is it really like gave the idea of like this is a small Small family and friends like gathering Mm -hmm. and who knows what the restraints are i don't know i have never played a wedding at the white house i don't know if it's like you're only allowed a certain amount or security requires xyz like who knows what should we see if we can schedule a white house tour we're going to dc you guys i think we know legit though we should i've never been i mean i've been to dc but i've never i've never been in the white house either you know, our eighth grade look. trip did not include that. <laughs> mm. Okay. Well, well, we'll think about it. We have a DC trip planning being planned. Yeah. 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 What she said. Um, but let's get into this episode and introduce our guest because we have been rambling on for, for quite a minute now. Yeah. And we're just like, I don't know, I'm in like a chatty Kathy mood. So like if someone doesn't stop me, it's really all, yeah. all bets are off. That's my Anyways, job. Yeah, that's <laughs> Maddie's title on LinkedIn. Co-CEO, girl on the gov. Co-host, girl on the gov. The podcast, Sam's Handler. <laughs> mouth, yeah, mouthpiece handler. 100%. That's literally... Comes with the territory here, girl on the gov. One day your assistant is going to have to be that. They're going to have to be like, Samantha, shut your mouth. It's going to be like a changing of the guard, too. Like, yeah. we're going to, like, hire that person. And it's going to be, like, orientation. And you're going to be like... I have suffered. <laughs> I'm passing the baton to you, young grasshopper. This is how you deal with this mouth of Samantha's. Let me let me teach you, because I'm done. <laughs> I'm screaming. Okay, okay. Okay, let's sorry, introduce our guests. Well then, let me get my voice guys, into a normal octave. So this week's episode, we are talking about climate. We're talking about clean jobs. We are talking about clean infrastructure. We are talking about the EPA, which, you know, we love to define like a fun little term moment. So obviously sure we get into that. And our guest is, drumroll please, Jason Walsh. He is the executive director of the Blue Green Alliance. So without further ado, here's Jason. Can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do? What's the mission behind the organization here? Oh, let me, let me give a little backstory. So, so we were Love found it. a little over 15 years ago by the Sierra Club, which is the nation's oldest, largest environmental organization, and the Steelworkers Union, which is the nation's biggest industrial union. Two very odd bedfellows who came together based on a shared belief that as a country, we shouldn't have to choose between good jobs and a clean environment. And everything we have done since our founding in 2006 really tries to achieve that principle, right? So we work first and foremost on public policy at the federal level and in in a number of different states and and to a certain extent nationally. And we really focus in on policy solutions that protect the environment while creating high quality family supporting jobs in a vibrant, inclusive economy. We're now seven national and international labor unions and six national environmental groups who collectively represent about 15 million Americans. That's awesome. Well, 
you make a good point of two groups that you would not expect coming together. Can you talk about how there actually kind of is like a natural cohesion between those two groups, Sierra Club and Steelworkers there? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it starts with, and here I'll, I'll just answer, it's, it, you know, on behalf of like all of the partners, right? What what, what keeps <laughs> them all together, right? I think it starts with the fact that actually these are labor, both labor unions and environmental groups are both public interest groups, right? They, they certainly represent the interests of their members and supporters, right? Separately, but clean air, clean water, good jobs. I mean, these are public benefits as well. They're benefits to the society as a whole. I, I, I think that's a real bond between these organizations. I, I think it's also true that often they share the same opponents, <laughs> right? It is, you know, corporations who want to screw over workers or, and pollute the environment and who have too much power and ability to do so. It is politicians who sometimes echo exactly what certain corporations want or just have a philosophical difference with government acting on behalf of communities and workers. So that's bonding as well. Yeah, totally. And what has traditionally been the relationship between like labor unions and climate activists and such? Is there and is there any like kind of notable moments, I guess, in history where the two have come together and just taken on this issue? Well, I think one notable date was 1999, which I'm not going to ask how old you both are, but but was <laughs> was, was I, 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 uh, but that was a while ago, right? 23 years ago, and that was the battle for Seattle, right? It it was when a bunch of environmental activists and uh, labor activists got in the street <laughs> in Seattle and fought for a vision of trade policy that respected both the environment and work. Right. And so the, the frame at that point in 1999 wasn't so climate forward, but it but it had a lot of those people in the streets. Right. Sometimes you hear the term Teamsters and Turtles. Right. There were Teamsters members there and and environmentalists dressed up as turtles. Another another oh day. Uh, another. Yeah. Love the visual. Uh, it was pretty wild. Another date is 2006 when 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 the Blue Green Alliance formed. I mean, I, I think we've been around long enough. To, to count as being a tradition. I mean, another date, 2011, just to be transparent, was was when the Keystone XL pipeline was blocked by the Obama administration. That was an enormous tension point mm-hmm. uh, between our labor partners our, and our environmental partners. It, it, and it really put stress on our coalition. So I, I want to be just totally candid, right? Like it's... <laughs> It's not always about unity. It's it is it is focusing on what unites us and then dealing with the the divisive issues. Right. right. And, and there there still are divisive issues that we work through. Mm-hmm. Totally. And are there any that you know sort of are top of mind or any that are like these are the top two things that we get into tussles about? Can't ignore them. <laughs> I mean, any or effort that is sort of framed around like, you know, sometimes you hear keep fossil fuels in the ground, right? Or blocking existing or, or proposed infrastructure projects if they have some connection to the fossil economy. First of all, let me just say, I, I totally understand that campaigns, you know, those campaigns, many of my environmental partners, you know, help lead them, participate in them but that kind of framing, at least in my experience, I've often found puts the workers who are working on those projects or in those facilities 
or in those sectors on the defensive. They feel like they're under right. attack. Sometimes they they feel like their identity is under attack, not just not just their their job. And we have found in in any state, any part of the country where those fights proliferate, it really toxifies the relationship between environmental groups and labor unions, which is too bad because, uh, you know, our, our our theory of, of the case is that there's a, a much more that unites us than divides us. Totally. Well, speaking of uniting, can you shed light on Solidarity for Climate Action and what that really entails? Yeah. So Solidarity for Climate Action is a platform that the Blue Green Alliance released in 2019, summer of 2019. And it starts with a vision that we are that we are faced with a climate crisis. But that's not the only crisis we're facing. We, we are also facing a crisis of income inequality that is grounded in economic and racial injustice. And, and that the, the solutions that we pursue to both of, of those crises have to be just as intersecting as their causes. And the platform actually got copy here right i mean that the, the, that that actually wasn't a prop i actually have one on <laughs> show and tell on the show is always welcome <laughs> yeah uh, you know and, we, and so we just have a, we have a list of policy ideas starting with with the goal of having a net zero economy by net zero emissions economy by 2050 which is a big deal yeah. i mean it was th- this platform was the first time that Unions like the steel workers, which to be clear, represent most of the country's oil refinery workers, right? Or the plumbers and pipe fitters, right? They work on a ton of pipelines. First time they'd ever put their their name on a document that calls for that, right? Yeah, wow. And, and they did it because the platform pays just as much attention to all the stuff we need to build <laughs> to get there and, and the quality of jobs that we need to create. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it's not acceptable to create a bunch of solar and wind jobs that don't pay family sustaining wages. Right. It, it's it's not acceptable to trade jobs in the fossil sector that for all their pollution over many years have been developed, often by the unions in those sectors into, you know, good, good family supporting jobs. Not, not, not okay to trade those for, for jobs that have less security, lower wages and fewer benefits and where workers don't have a voice on the job. So, so that, that's a, a, a little bit of background on, on the Solidarity for Climate Action platform. I will say that we put it out at a, at a pretty great time. And first of all, just to illustrate the joys of working in coalition, it like that went through 21 drafts, right? It took like eight months oh to develop, God. you know, a relatively short document because it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> like most I important can, things yeah. are hard. This yeah. was hard, but it, I think it's a testament to the trust that our partners had built up over a bunch of years through good times and bad, that they were able to stay at it and stay at the table, which really means something. And 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 I think all the more important because it you you see a lot of documents come out of coalitions that are kind of lowest common denominator <laughs> documents. It's like what yeah. is the most vanilla <laughs> platform that everyone can agree to because it's really not all that uh ambitious. This is pretty ambitious. This this made our partners our labor environmental partners uncomfortable in, in different ways. It stretched them in different ways. Yeah. And and the timing was good because of course it 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 I mean literally we released it June, yeah, June of twenty nineteen, the fir- the first and then we did, well, then we did some education with it, right? And the first presidential campaign we we uh 
we brought it to was the was the Biden campaign, which which just start at that point. And, you know, based on our work and the work of a, a whole lot of others, I, I like to think that we we really helped to shape President Biden's, you know, very explicit linking of climate action with union jobs, which, mm-hmm. which you know, we are, you know, with that platform, it's kind of our foundation. We have been working to achieve in the first two years of his administration and, and in this Congress. Well, I can definitely relate to the 22 plus revision situation. One, because usually that is us, but also there is an ad on the subway right now for getting the brand. So sorry, it's not going to be an ad for them. But they talk about like how many versions things go to and like what they're saved as. And it's like final underscore final. No, really (laughs) final, like third round. And I'm like, yep, yep. You can't keep track of like which one. Is this the most recent one? No. It's like so the hard. last one it's, said oh. final. Which one's the final? <laughs> the struggle. But nonetheless, that aside, we do want to get into I have a stupid question. Or sorry, I have a stupid question, but segment. And it kind of tags into what you were saying of there's much to build as we try and move towards a, you know, more green industry and whatnot. So we want to ask, what is clean infrastructure? Clean infrastructure is, if, if I wrote this out, it would be more, more coherent. So, so bear with me. Clean infrastructure is infrastructure that enables us individually and as a society to reduce pollution is the shortest version, pithiest version of that definition <laughs> I can offer right now off yeah. the cuff. <laughs> what, is that like, what does that look like if you were to think about? It looks like a lot of different things in a lot of different sectors. And, and I, I actually, I'm glad you asked the question because because it's often de- defined too narrowly, right? So it's not just installing solar panels or wind turbines. It is also putting a high efficiency HVAC system into a building or making the steel that goes into the foundation for the utility scale solar array. It's a, it's a lot of jobs across the value chain, across the economy. It also includes jobs cleaning up all of the big messes that we have made in this country, which unfortunately are almost too many to count. And, and, and so whether that's cleaning up brownfields or abandoned mine lands, all of those, uh, I would argue, are, are, are clean jobs. There it is. Clean jobs. Well, speaking of clean jobs and messes and all the things coming together, what is OSHA? OSHA. OSHA stands for the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, which is located within the Department of Labor. It was created by the Occupational Safety and Health Act. And most fundamentally, it is about ensuring that workplaces in this country are safe and healthy for workers. And they do that through regulation, they do it through training and education, a, a, a bunch of different needs. But but most fundamentally, that's what OSHA is. Mm-hmm. And what is the Toxic Substances Control Act? Otherwise known as TSCA, which is oh, a law nice. that was passed in the mid-1970s, 1976, I think, and updated a few years ago. And it provides the Environmental Protection Agency with the authority to regulate a, a pretty broad range of toxic substances and chemicals that go into all of the everyday products that we use and don't have nearly enough understanding of what they do. Gotcha. All right. Wow. What is the green chemistry market? 
Oh. Green chemistry, I think, is most fundamentally about designing chemicals and chemical processes and, chem and chemical products that avoid the creation of toxics and waste. You're just, you're killing our, you know, definition roundup here, but let's bring it home. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying. With, bring it home with what is the EPA? Oh, I mean, the, the EPA was created by Congress in 1970. I don't think there was a single dissenting vote, which tells you a little bit about the devolution of the Republican Party over the last 50 years. But EPA is all about, they are charged with protecting human and environmental health and well-being, often through regulation, but not only that. I have a question too. You said earlier that you presented the Solidarity for Climate Action. That's what you presented to the Biden campaign, right? Or what was yeah. it? Yeah. yeah did you did you present that with other campaigns? Just curious. I worked on Tom Sire's campaign. That was like just the idea of like clean jobs and a clean economy was like his entire campaign platform. I'm curious. <clears throat> yeah. Um, we I did I did actually I was not the executive director at the time. I was I was working as a consultant at BGA, but I was I was part of the the group of partners who presented the platform to folks from the Biden campaign. We shared it. I, I think I, I don't have a list off the top of my head. So I'm not, I don't know if we talked with Tom's campaign about it, mm -hmm. but I, I would say we, we, we shared it and talked it through with, with most of, of the candidates, the major candidates. Yeah. And can you kind of also highlight just how that process works of how like an organization like Blue Green Alliance comes in during the campaign times, the electoral times, and works with campaigns versus when, you know, say the Biden administration gets into office, when do they bring you back and say, hey, like, you know, we want to set up this platform. Like, how does that all work from campaign into office when you work with yeah. candidates? <clears throat> it, it's it's good, a good question. The, the answer is complicated, as you know. I mean, first of all, we, you know, we were educating the Biden campaign and other campaigns as a 501c3 is a nonprofit, right? We, we were, and, and nonprofits can do that as long as they're providing that education to any candidate, right? So we offered it to the Trump campaign. Shockingly, they were not interested in talking about it. Shocked you even off. Yes. It, I mean, we were all that was devastated and surprised by that. <laughs> but, you know, and, you know, and, 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 and then, I mean, for, mo for several months, we were just mostly in education mode with, with, and then we also did that with members of Congress as, as well. That changed and became we became much more punctilious about about legality because in when we got into 2020, we started a, a process that resulted in the Blue Green Alliance actually endorsing then Vice President Biden to be president. And and we had never made an endorsement before as a coalition. And Obviously, in, in that scenario, there are certain rules, right? You can't coordinate with the campaign or do anything like that. But we do have a C4, right, which allows us to make endorsements. And so we did it. And we were very careful about it. But then the campaign, uncoordinated with us, used that endorsement, as, as honestly we had hoped, to talk about how, you know, th this this candidate and their platform had united, you know, the, the labor and environmental movements, which, which obviously is is an important thing to be able to say on yeah. the mm -hmm. uh, and and so i like to think that put us in a very good position with 
the Biden administration during the transition period, where we were also talking with the transition team about different policy ideas. And then we then at that point, just to, to, to complete answer your question, we got into full policy wonk mode yeah. right, where we were going into like very detailed. And just to give you an example, you know, even back in during the transition period. Right. So this is between, you know, the, November 2020 November, and January, yeah. yeah, kind of a fraught time you know one of one of the policies we were pitching was called by clean which is a a way of using procurement government procurement to incentivize clean domestically made products that go into infrastructure projects like you know cleaner steel and aluminum and concrete and those kind of things and we 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 first passed that law with our allies in california in 2017 and and we've been working on it in a few other states and we basically pitched it to the biden administration as something that they should implement at the federal level. And so fast forward to December of 2021, the president put out an executive order on federal sustainability and a bike clean initiative was a part of that executive order. So that's just an example of, right, sort of going from the sort yeah. of ideation and honestly pitching policy ideas phase, right, to actually seeing it become effectively the law of the land. Well, I'm glad we, I was gonna, I have more, questions just about that administration and where you guys are at with some of these policy ideas and how how they're coming but you answered some of that but first we'll kind of get back into what all of this really means and talk about like these end goals that we're looking at so like how do we go about creating sustainable long-term career opportunities or jobs in clean manufacturing and or energy the energy industry and like how how does policy come about to achieve that yeah so I have a multi-layered answer to that question. So let me give it a shot. I, I think let's first of all, just start big picture with, with a recognition that the majority of these, sometimes they're called green jobs or clean energy jobs or sustainable jobs, right? The majority of these jobs are blue collar jobs <laughs> that don't require a four-year college education. The, the biggest sectors where you see the most job creation are construction and manufacturing, and, and then it kind of flows from there. Now, I think this is a good thing. <laughs> we think this is a good thing because literally every labor market trend of the last several decades has worked against blue collar workers and workers with less formal education and training. And here we have this imperative, right, of having to rebuild and repair and retrofit and refuel our entire economy that that will create lots and lots of blue collar jobs and and hopefully do so in a way that will make them quality union jobs that that that's enormously powerful as a way of sort of pushing back on all of the trends that have driven down wages and benefits and working conditions in these sectors so that that that's just one thing to to note i i think we also need to add to that an understanding that for the there are some new skills and new occupations with, with these jobs and, and and that are created in 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 this transition but for the most part we're looking at existing skills and existing skills and existing occupations they're just being deployed for to for new economic activity or to deliver new fuels or technologies right the building trades worker who installs a utility scale solar farm is the same worker with largely the same set of skills who builds a combined cycle natural gas power plant right and, and so you, you can kind of flow from there 
the 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 third piece I, I would emphasize is we need to proactively work on inclusion as we do these as, as we create these jobs, right? The the two sectors I gave as an example is construction and manufacturing. Women are, are dramatically underrepresented in both of those sectors. Black Americans are underrepresented in both of those sectors. So in addition to, to paying really close attention to job quality, and there are a bunch of different ways to do that, which we can talk about. Totally. And thinking about this approach and this initiative and this whole dynamic, I feel like there's been, at least in my you know bubble that I live in, a lot of pushback on the idea of creating clean jobs and sort of evolving these industries. Is there a reason for that? Like, what's sort of the backstory? Like, who's saying, and then now I don't want this? Well, yeah. I mean, I think I, I think there, there's authentic pushback and inauthentic pushback, <laughs> right? right? There, there are, are the authentic pushback, I think, is people who hear people talk about clean jobs as if it's an entirely different set of occupations and jobs that make their current jobs irrelevant, right? Which I think kind of gets their hackles up <laughs> for, for I think, some good reasons. The, the inauthentic pushback is people who actually don't give a damn about clean at all, right? And don't want clean. Many of them are from industries that are inherently dirty and dangerous. And the the putting a, putting a brand out there with clean in it, they either want to co-opt that brand or they want to blow it up. Mm. Yeah. On like the flip side too, can you kind of show how you know, clean jobs and economy would put us in the right direction. And also if there's any like places where regionally this would have maybe like a more positive impact or like would be particularly more impactful, if that makes sense. I, I think it, it does. I mean, you know, the, the case we make is that we ju- they're just, you know, it is a you know, climate change is real, <laughs> right? There are things we have to do as a country, and 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 at the core of it is moving toward an economy in which we are not emitting lots and lots of greenhouse gases, right? And so, if we accept that as a reality, not everybody does, but if we accept that as a reality, we need to gear our economy and the jobs in it towards creating those clean outcomes and how we do it matters. The, the, the quality of the jobs matter. The accessibility of those jobs matter, but it's also pretty damn exciting, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, done the right way. It's not only preserving a livable planet that we can all live on. It's also trying to reimagine the kind of society we want, right? Like, better jobs, right. <laughs> more representation, more equity. So we've got, you know, it is a crisis, certainly multiple crises, but it's also kind of an enormous opportunity to do some totally. things differently and better. Absolutely. Yeah. And okay, so so back, let's, let's go back to the Biden administration and Congress, honestly, because I know you guys, we've talked about how you guys do work with campaigns in the transition period, and then ultimately when they get into office. Where are, let's start with the Biden administration. Where is the Biden administration at? You did mention one executive order, but can you kind of highlight, you know, the work that you've done with the Biden administration and what's kind of have, has come to fruition at this point? 
Yeah, I mean, I gave you that that, that by clean example, but you know, I I can honestly say that this is you know an administration that first of all I have I and certainly in my lifetime I've not worked with an administration or for an administration that was as unapologetically pro-labor. And that has really mattered for our coalition and for the labor movement more broadly. And that is embodied in, in, in a whole bunch of different ways, sometimes in executive action, right? Like, so, you know, there, the, the president put out an executive order requiring federal agencies to enter into project labor agreements on projects over a certain size. And, and project labor agreements, that's another rabbit hole, but basically it lays out the the working conditions, training requirements, career pipelines into all of the work that gets done on these major projects. And you don't have to be a union to do it, but it's it's typically unions who do that work because, because they can actually, they're geared to do that. But it, we also in this administration see how that gets translated in terms of the legislative proposals and priorities they they fight for. Now, the caveat there <laughs> is that we haven't won everything that we have fought for. It, it is pretty hard to do when you need every single Democratic vote in the Senate and can only spare a couple in the House. So as you and all of your listeners, I'm sure, are well aware, you know, the, the Build Back Better Act, which we strongly supported and, and really worked the details on, that passed the House in the latter part of last year, kind of crashed and burned at the end of, of 2021 in dramatic fashion. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, where to wrap everything up, where can people find Blue Green Alliance? Where can they can they get involved? Can you kind of highlight some of that stuff? Social media? Yeah, I mean, go to our website. That's probably the best way to, to do that, bluegreenalliance.org. And there's a lot of information and ways of signing up to, to get our alerts and our newsletters and, and all of that jazz. But also, you know, I would say look for in your own communities ways in which you yourself or any group you volunteer for or represent can can make connections, right? Yeah. That doesn't have to be environmental group to labor union, although that's that that's who we are. But I, I'm a firm I've worked pretty much my whole career trying to organize coalitions that fight for progressive policy change. And I, I it's really important to do that. <laughs> it's really hard to get any change in this country by yourself, right? Or yeah. with your own organization. It, it is much more powerful to do it in, in coalition. And, you know, you have to go into it eyes wide open. Like coalition work is hard. Honestly, it's an enormous pain in the ass a lot of the time, <laughs> but it is it is also worth it, right? Be yeah. Because what you can do together is so much more than you can do apart. Absolutely. Love that. What a great closing note. Well, thank you so much for coming on and giving us all this info. We need it. So thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.